0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uplifting Impact podcast. I'm Justin Ponder, Chief Information Officer with Uplifting Impact, and I'm excited to be hosting you today as we dive deeper into our journey to make the world more diverse, equitable, and inclusive. Today, I'm very excited to be talking with Gwen Murphy. She is a global technology executive providing technology, strategy, architecture, and digital transformation leadership at IBM, EY, KPMG, and other firms. Over several years, much of her work has focused on the use of technology to improve human well-being, developing solutions to support smart city innovations, and leveraging emerging technology to create enchanted products and simplify clients' sustainability and ESG, environment, social, and governance challenges. Ms. Murphy established two companies, Athena, to offer digital transformation and product innovation, and later launched Certify. Services to inform, align, and integrate sustainability strategies to enhance governance, reduce risk, and optimize companies' value chains. Ms. Murphy studied politics, religion, and technology at Hunter College and Polytechnic University, NYU. Gwyn Murphy, welcome to our show.
1: Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, the pleasure is all ours. So to start off, can you tell our listeners how you got into this position?
1: How I started working in DNI or ESG or both, a little both.
0: <laughs> However you want to take us. I know you do a lot. It's very exciting to hear about.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, my background, like you said, is in the tech sector. And as you know, I don't have to tell everybody on the line that that is a very male-dominated field. Uh, and so, Uh, I think it wasn't, you know, really IBM. I mean, I think when I went into IBM, I was pretty excited. I kind of felt like I was on the starship enterprise. It didn't matter, (laughs) you you know, uh, you know, if you were a woman wearing go-go boots or a man with pointy ears or, uh, you know, whatever, it didn't matter. I mean, it was a very inclusive, pretty inclusive environment very early on. It was when I left and went to other companies that I started to see, wow, you know, the world is not really quite like that. And. Mm. So I joined a one of the big 4 and in their internal IT organization had 100 men in the organization that I was becoming uh, in as leadership in a leadership position and myself and another woman joined that day we were 101 and 102 wow. and I immediately said to myself wow there's something wrong with this picture mm-hmm. and it didn't take long for me to say we need a diversity and inclusiveness program and within 2 years I built a technology department that had uh, was in fact people said you have the most diverse department in the entire organization. I uh, probably had a third women. I had a multicolored team. Uh, uh, people from India and obviously all over in the world. Um, and uh, it was just why can I do it and no one else can? Well, you know I'm a woman, so I had access to women in tech. I knew women who were data architects and whatnot, but. I still could see the challenge because when I would refer women to my peer organizations for jobs, they'd be interviewing and they would come back and they'd say, oh, she's not a good fit. And I would be like, well, mm-hmm. this is just this makes no sense. How do you give someone a bio like that who's actually a little overqualified given their history? So I started to kind of look into this a little bit and I, Uh, We launched a diversity inclusiveness program in that global IT organization. We had a wonderful CEO at the time, a woman uh, uh, who um, really took it up and said, let's do this. And that's kind of how I got started in the diversity space. And we launched a program and it was there that I started to, I was asked to go speak at a conference in Hawaii called the W20, which is a precursor to the G20 where all the presidents get together and they talk about the state of affairs with their countries. The W20 is all about women, uh, women's economic empowerment. And my role there was to talk about how do we close the digital divide? How How do we get more women in tech? How do we get more girls are in STEM up into roles and organizations. How do we get more women into leadership roles in organizations? And it was there, and I tell this story all the time, and I always give her credit because it was the former Prime Minister of New Zealand, Dame Jenny Shipley, who said, asked us to do a study on the impacts of technology on the lives of women and girls and humankind. And then That study just kind of blew me away. You know, we couldn't believe how robotics, artificial intelligence, and blockchain had really negative future potential effects, and at the same time could be used for unbelievable good. The question is, who's going to get there first? And that was kind of my first real kind of eye-opening on the fact that we really should be doing more things to design systems and tools and whatnot to support human well-being which is really kind of a core foundation of ESG. You know, I mean, the concept of sustainability, sustainability means that you, me, our government, the corporations around us are not doing things that prohibit the sustaining life on this planet. And when you then look at the E for environment, environmentally, what is your company doing or not doing? Socially, diversity, inclusiveness, slavery in your supply chain, child labor, you know, what are you doing or not doing that's causing cycles of poverty? Or, you know, are you a good good corporate citizen when you're operating overseas and, and governance wise, you know, what is your investment, are your investments aligned to the kinds of corporate values that, you know, are are uh, meaningful uh, to sustain our planet and planetary boundaries and the climate and all that stuff. So that's kind of the long story kind of have how I ended up in this space, Um, our company Certify also went a step further to launch global education. uh, 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 NYU Stern did a study that showed that less than uh, 5% of board members have any training in ESG and less than 1% have any training in environment. Now, the board members and business professionals, these are the people we're expecting to make the biggest decisions of our time. Uh, example, you know, Dyson recently, and this is how people don't understand how hard these decisions are and how you need a new an ESG mindset and an inclusive mindset to think about the decisions you're making, because like Dyson, for example, had an incident in their supply chain where they found slavery. And, you know, no good deed goes unpunished because they did a good thing. They, they got rid of the supplier. You'd think that was a good thing. But then they ended up with a humanitarian issue because all the uh, people in that region that the supplier hired now was not going to have food to eat. Right. right. So thinking in terms of ESG and getting boards and that to get away from thinking about profit and balancing people and planet in your decision making, that's an ESG mindset. And so we provide training to business professionals and uh, board members and that to to start to think that way. And diversity and inclusiveness is one of the major areas that we talk about.
0: And what do you think are the greatest opportunities for that education? You said only 5% have ESG education at all. And in the subset of diversity and inclusiveness, what are the biggest areas of topics for educational opportunities, the things that are maybe most lacking or most enlightening when people go through your types of training? What are the things that they need to learn the most?
1: Uh, On the diversity side or just kind of. Yeah. On
0: the diversity side, we can start with.
1: Yeah. I mean, with diversity, I think one of the things that it's an eye opener for me is I always thought diversity meant, you know, my gender, uh, you know, African-Americans, people of different, you know, uh, uh, ethnicities, uh, religions, being included in corporate boards and then people get hung up on, well, do we need one or two, you know, like, you know, so you end up starting talking about numbers. Right. I, what I really like about the way we approach this conversation and competent boards was was rather genius is that it's not, if you focus the conversation on diversity of thought, right. Mm. If you think about it, if I ask my friends who are white male friends, you know, let's just go there. Uh, and I say, if you're on a board with all white men, you all graduated from the Northeast, the schools in the Northeast, and you all make over, you know, half a million dollars a year and your kids all go to the same schools, you think you're going to have diversity of thought? Right. I mean, isn't it? Can't you just deduce that that's impossible? Right? right. But at the same time, your corporation is operating in Brazil globally in all these countries that you've got no one on your board or your management teams who actually understand uh, the implications of business operations in these countries and how to deal with local communities and the unintended um, consequences of your business's activities. Right. I mean, right. Um, you know, if you're, um, if your uh, companies in the past have tended to make decisions to you know, in one country, they're sourcing tomatoes, in another country, they're canning them and processing them. In another one, they're canning them, and then they ship them around the world. Well, why did they make that decision? It's a financial decision to be in right. those geographies. Well, when does tax planning, so they can there become tax evasion, you know right. these are all kinds of things we help people think about. But also, when doing business in those countries, if no one on the board is understanding, look at the unintended, what is the social impact I have on that local community? And how can we actually build up that community so there actually is more opportunity for spend, right? There was one, I don't know the exact statistic or whatever, but I'll tell you there was a wonderful instructor in one of our programs who mentioned that uh, in the fashion industry alone in Uzbekistan, um, to bring up the local community, what happens is, is these women, it's mostly women with children who can't actually go to school uh, because they end up working in labor situations because they, their parents can't afford to send them to school. The, the price for a pair of jeans to change that situation mm-hmm. so that, that woman can send her children to school and that the, the local economy can grow is 50 cents per pair of jeans. Wow. So um, that means that that money isn't now invested back in that community. People get more educated. They grow local businesses. Then they have their own money to spend, right? So you don't think that way uh, unless you have a diversity of people on your team to help bring those ideas, right?
0: And that's something that we often find is that when it comes to ESG reporting that people get really hung up, like you mentioned at the beginning, the numbers, right? people who and who knew? People who go through years of training to focus on quantifiable numbers mm-hmm. and percentages get really hung up on the numbers and percentages of bodies in seats. Mm-hmm. But you talked about diversity of thought, which is often much more along the lines of inclusiveness, how what guardrails are in place to ensure that that diversity of thought is heard, has influence, and is impacted upon, as opposed to just simply tokenized. Hey, we got a woman. We're never going to listen to her. Hey, we got somebody from a person of color. We're never going to listen to them. How do you get people to start thinking that way and more particularly develop KPIs and metrics to measure inclusivity when they're so attracted towards 37% of our workforce is people of color and 42% of our company yeah. is women. How do you get them to transition to developing qua- almost q- oftentimes qualitative data yeah. around ensuring the diversity of thought has influence?
1: yeah well i'll go- I'd go as far as to say that even though i I think that using the term diversity of thought when you when you, you when you get executives thinking about diversity of thought, it's less um, in their face. It's less a. Fan- mm less um it's less oh you me you know i got to go to my corner you know this is you got it you're telling me i got to put a number on my board but a number of people but if you if you say diversity of thought trust me over a period of time they'll realize the only way i can get diversity of thought is by actually having diversity
0: <laughs> like, right
1: because it's not the yeah, and there's no other way so i think it's just as it's just a better way and i'm not, i'm not saying we need to go soft on people But I'm saying it's just a more um, uh, uh, intelligent way to get people to see the obvious. But I still think, Justin, to answer your question, numbers matter. You Mm. get one woman, one minority, one, you know, on a board. That's where we get into inclusiveness. They're not going to feel included. They're going to feel outnumbered. They're (laughs) going to, you know, how is that included, you know? How much what then are you doing to actually listen to them, you know, and to t- and to to give them a, 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 a you know, a, a thing. We've seen this forever. And if you, you know, shame on you if you've got one woman on your board and you and and these statistics where people say, oh, or one minority. Oh, we have one African-American on our board. We have one uh, person from Latin America on our board because we do business there. You know, shame on you, because I just think we need to go the next level and say, you know, uh, when you hear people say things like we've set a goal across you know, like finance fund managers. I hear fund managers say this all the time. We've set a goal to have one woman on our board um, uh, on every board by 2025. Oh, who cares? You know what is to do. She's going to go in, and she's going to go out, and who's going to listen to her while she's there, or or anyone else, whether any other minority in that situation. So, I just think enough is enough. You know, you there is no way to get inclusivity and collaboration um, and equity unless your board mirrors the way you do business. I'm not Mm. saying we need, if we have X number of ethnic groups or gender in our society, I'm not saying the board needs to have those numbers, but I am saying, shame on you. If you're doing business in all these countries or or you're selling sneakers to, you know, the African-American communities around the country, and you've got nobody on your board or in your marketing department to truly understand their needs and how they and how they feel you know and what you'll find is that business cases have proven you will be able to grow your business right your messaging will be better your the way you tell stories to that community the way you engage with that community will be better and you'll have less risks of bad reputational situations because you won't have those screw-ups where you know <laughs> somebody put in mouth situation where they said something about so-and-so and i We've
0: and seen- we're all scratching our heads, like, if only you had listened to even one person from the community. they be like, oh no, that's not a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's so upsetting. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, you know, some things just seem so obvious. And I don't know. This is you're you're closer to this than me, but with George George Floyd, you know, after that situation, uh, you know, and we turned around and we saw all these advertisers coming out, all these campaigns, and all this. You know, it's it's kind of like. Why is it around sort of a period like that where we start to see an influx of seriousness? Oh, we're donating money, you know, and, you know, we're watching today with Ukraine, you know, and uh, I have to tell you, like, I'm I'm wearing my thing this morning. I watched uh, Zelensky give his speech this morning and I couldn't help but think that, you know, I heard a CEO of a major, major, major company the other day say it's not Wall Street's job. To um, ostracize Russia, or to you know, uh, and you know what? He's so wrong. Millennials, mm-hmm. and Gen Z, yeah. stuff, that's not what people feel today. He's yeah. he's on the outside of the way the rest of us feel about this. We most people are asking the question: Why are American corporations so financially embedded into authoritarian states? What happened to the days when a threat to democracy anywhere was a threat to democracy everywhere, right? Mm. When you think about the people running corporations today who've made the decisions over the last 30 years to pollute the planet and to um, embed the NBA, it doesn't matter if it's basketball or consumer goods, so much so that they can't pull out of a country when they're Mm. slaughtering human beings. I I think that look, I think we're all asking the question. It's not just diversity inclusiveness, the great resignation is because of all of that. Right. right? It's because of people all want
0: that. their work to be their work and their purchases to be good, to be meaningful beyond simply the act of beyond simply transactional. And even the story that you mentioned, the dwindling assumption that there's clear divides between the professional the financial and the personal and the social that is a dwindling view where we want, we, we spend a majority of our waking lives working. We want our work to mean something. If we're spending more time working than we are with our family, we want it to be a meaningful family to which we're belonging when we work with. And if we're spending all this money consuming, we want to make sure that it's simultaneously doing something good and definitely at least not doing harm. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, You know the statement you know i don't know something about it just really didn't sit well with me it just sounds like someone who's privileged and got a lot of stuff you know and has been (laughs) stuff for a very long period of time the whole concept of consumption now is out the window right right? we're talking about regenerative shoes we're talking about designing Mm. shoes so you can they're regenerative now and you can reuse the material we're not we don't want to throw out rubber anymore Companies are looking for replacements to rubber. Women wear stretchy pants made out of petroleum. Uh, They're looking at, they researched into using spider DNA to make those pants because we don't want to use oil and, you know, products anymore. So these got folks at the top making those kinds of statements. I think the younger generation, that's why they say, what's the saying the younger generation says? Um, You know, they say um, about... Saying
0: is it read the room, <laughs> read the vibe? No, <laughs> that's part um, of it, maybe.
1: <laughs> boomer, okay. Boomer. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, right. You know, like that, the younger generation is Okay, boomer, you know, yeah. because you know, that's you know, there was the greatest generation, and people are now saying baby boomers like are the worst generation, they suck the life out of the planet, and they're mm-hmm. still not getting it that their younger generation, their own children, are going to be from 570 coastal cities around the world are predicted. To be underwater by 2050. If you're a baby boomer sitting at the top of a corporation on billions of dollars and your attitude is only that it's not wall street's problem. I don't know you're part of the problem to me. And also
0: it's uh, the other phrase that I thought you were thinking is read the vibe, (laughs) which is yeah. And especially the millennials, Gen Z, they are very quickly faster than ever. I'm generation X. Baby boomers now, majority of the workforce in a few years, it's going to be millennials in a few years. So I'm never going to have a time in the sun. But what's fascinating about that is not just the age demographic shift will be faster than the world labor force has ever seen. It will be a drastic philosophical shift about what work means and what consumption means and what all business is supposed to do. It's a huge shift. So if you're not already on board, read the vibe. (laughs) I got to remember
1: that. But it's it's so true. Um, It's so true. It's just, you're totally right. I mean, uh, the younger generation and, you know, the sooner, the better, Yeah. so. (laughs) Well, speaking
0: of sooner, the better, Gwen, unfortunately we're out of time, but I'm sure there's lots of people who are listening who would love to continue to follow your ideas. You have so much fascinating things to say. So how can they keep up with you and stay in contact to keep learning from you?
1: Yeah, well, I would say go to my LinkedIn, uh, Gwen Murphy, uh, and say you heard me on <laughs> Justin's uh, podcast, or Gwen.Murphy at Certify, S-C-E-R-T-I-F-Y, it's with an S, dot C-O, com. And I would love to stay in touch. And if there's folks out there with diversity and inclusiveness programs and they want advice um, and whatnot, um, you know, maybe we can help. <laughs>
0: All right. Thank you so much, Gwen Murphy. And thank you to all of you out there for listening. We're so glad that you tuned in today for this podcast. And we need more people like you to keep uplifting the impact. In order to do so, be sure to share this episode, comment on it by going to our website at upliftingimpact.com to provide your thoughts directly to us through LinkedIn at Uplifting Impact, Justin Ponder and Deanna Singh. And until next week, keep uplifting the impact.